because music is is transparent and so you can hear what everybody's doing all together and the way they affect each other so the relationships they kind of snap into focus much more clearly than they do in real life and once having seen that in a musical context it's easy to make the conversion to how would i bring that particular dynamic into my own life hello and welcome to the daily helping with dr richard schuster food for the brain knowledge from the experts tools to win at life i'm your host dr richard whoever you are wherever you're from and whatever you do this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself each episode you will hear from some of the most amazing talented and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others together we're going to make the world a better place are you ready because it's time for your daily helping Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have a really exciting guest to share with you today. American conductor Roger Nirenberg is the creator of The Music Paradigm, which has brought him to the podium of the London Philharmonic, the New Zealand Symphony, and the National Symphony, among countless others. He's collaborated with musicians from more than 100 orchestras around the world. The Music Paradigm is a powerful learning experience that uses symphonic music to illustrate compelling insights about people at work. Participants are seated directly amongst the orchestra musicians where they gain fresh understandings about the opportunities and challenges faced by their own organizations. Over the past 20 years, Roger has presented to hundreds of different organizations from civic groups to Fortune 500 companies in over two dozen countries. Roger, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much, Dr. Schuster. So there's so many things we can talk about. You're one of the most fascinating guests we've, we've had on because you got your start in music and you have taken your love for music and created something really phenomenal that are being used by organizations today. So take us through the beginning, how you got into orchestra music. And and I want to start there, start with that. Well, I think everybody who devotes their lives to to music at some point has this uh, inspiration. You, You hear this, you hear this thing in the music and it's so... It's just so compelling and so attractive. And that was the case for me when I was about nine years old. And um, and I knew that that's what I wanted my life to be about. And then uh, what I really wanted to do uh, was write music. I mean, I had, I had no background. I, I didn't have any, it wasn't really uh, a logical thing. I didn't know anything, but that was what I really wanted to do. And I studied composition through through my school years, and I went to university as a composer. But at the same time, I, I played in orchestras, and it was it was the most thrilling thing in the world. So when I decided that when I was leaving college and trying to figure out what what profession I wanted to pursue, I thought that conducting was the thing that I loved the most, and so that was the career that I pursued. And indeed, I I, I was a professional orchestra I conducted in. in in many places, on many continents. Uh, At a certain point in the 1990s, I began began to ponder 
the American audience and why it was so unsupportive of, of classical music. And I got interested in the block that a lot of people have to, to experiencing it, to feeling it, to, to being enriched by it. And I started doing experiments. And when I put all of my experiments together, it turned out to be so successful. And it was only after having done it a couple of times that I began to realize that this was a really very powerful for businesses. That had never been my intention. My intention was to, to build the audience for classical music. But it was just undeniable, and businesses were lining up for me to do this for them because they could communicate the important messages to their workforce much better through what I had devised than they could themselves. So that was how it turned into a kind of a business intervention, which is what you were just talking about, which I've done you know, so many times in so many different places. I definitely want to spend some time talking about what you built in the music paradigm, but I wanted to revisit something you said that was very interesting. You said that you were pondering the blocks that the American audience had to classical music. Uh, so as you started working on that, what, what conclusions did you draw? Well, I think that a lot of people, if, if, you're not, if you didn't grow up as a musician, if you didn't play music, you, you f- feel kind of out of context. So there's this music that's going on. You don't know the tunes the way you do the pop tunes. You don't hear them all the time. So you, and I think for a lot of people, they begin to, to feel a little intimidated. The way anybody does when you, when you encounter something where, where, where what you experience is your own ignorance. And that ignorance becomes the primary the primary experience that they have, and it blocks their ability to allow the music to touch them. And, you know, as, as we progress from early childhood into adulthood, what we develop is our critical cap- capability, uh, our ability to discriminate, our ability to think and categorize and structure, and, and all those things don't help at all with the experience of music. It's not something that you think, it's something that you allow, it's, you allow it to affect you. And the block was that people just didn't allow it in and they got involved in thinking. That was the way I understood it. And that was what I sought to circumvent. It's very interesting. And is it your experience that in other countries around the world, those blocks are fewer? I think more people in, in Europe feel comfortable with with classical music i think it's it's more important in those countries but there are still many people who are blocked and i mean the real discriminator is whether or not you had music as a child and you played in ensembles and you knew that that social experience of making music with other people either singing in a chorus or playing in some kind of ensemble Interesting. And so almost by accident, you found a niche for yourself that you weren't at all expecting. You, you created something that you have been using with, with corporations and organizations all across the planet. So talk to us about what it does for somebody who's sitting in that audience. And they're getting to hear the orchestra. How does music help improve the challenges that are faced by organizations? Well, music works 
because um, because it unfolds very fast compared with life. So that in a minute of music, a lot happens. Whereas a minute of life, generally, not much happens, except in very extreme experiences. And because music is compact in that way, it's much easier to connect the dots than it is in real life. So if I can find a way of, through role-playing exercises, of growing the same kind of issues, organizational issues or behavioral issues in the orchestra that's going on in the organization who's seated amongst them, then by listening to the music, they begin to see themselves, but they're seeing themselves through this very unusual lens. And when you look through that lens, you see it with much more clarity than you do in your everyday life. Now, ask me a couple more questions because that's a well, everything that I've said there is a little difficult to, to grasp and sounds improbable, but that's indeed what happens. It's so interesting. And so let's break that down more specifically because there's, there's different things going on. Obviously, you talked earlier about these blocks that people have because they might not have been exposed to music. So I imagine that most of the people that you're working with in these organizational settings fit into that role, that they haven't had the experience of dealing with the organizational or rather playing music in an ensemble. So how are we overcoming that block in that moment? And then is there, for most people, this aha point, this this part where it all just kind of clicks and then there can start being some change? Well, answer the second question first. Yes, there is for everybody this aha moment when it all clicks. But the first question about how do I overcome that block? I embrace the block. I, I take the block as a positive thing because an organization that's holding a meeting is trying to bring about some kind of change. And they're always changing because the world is changing. And organizations are trying to keep up. They're trying to adapt. They're not pursuing last year's strategy. They're pursuing the strategy that's going to position themselves for the conditions that are going to occur next year. So they're always trying to bring about change. And everybody in organization knows, in an organization knows that change is very difficult. And even when people are told to change, they still resist it. And the thing that people, the reason that people resist is because they get invested in their success. And their identification with what they've achieved, with the status that they've arrived at, with the power that they've accumulated and all those things, that is the principal barrier to change. So if you want to make meaningful change, if you want to, if you want to really make progress in that, what you need to do is strip them of all those things that make them feel comfortable and make them feel strong. So all you have to do is put them in, in, inside an orchestra, which is it makes them strangers in a strange land. They don't know about it. They don't understand it. In a way, they're kind of very vulnerable just to begin with before anything has happened, the moment they sit there. And that vulnerability is very useful as long as you make it a friendly place that they're in. They're strangers in a very delightful land. So they begin to relax a little bit, but still 
they're grasping. They want to have something that makes them feel like, I know, I know what this is. I, I, I'm really successful. I, I know what to do. But instead of that, they get absorbed in a kind of a fascination, fascination with what's going on here. And that's where you want them to be if you want to bring about, if you want them to be able to be open to change. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. It's interesting, and you make a good point, is that everybody might be in an organization at a different, might have a different role, some are in managerial roles, some are not, but they're all in that unfamiliar territory and experiencing that unfamiliarness together, which I think is excellent. A well-known thing that, you know, they take executives out for these outward bound things and put them in the wilderness or whatever, you know, for the same purpose. But that takes so long and it really, uh, it threatens people. Whereas this is very quick and there's not really a threat because I make the room so friendly. I make it so, so inviting. I make it such, such fun to be there that they don't experience that, that kind of fear, but they still, they experience not knowing. And that is just so useful. It's such a great place to start. And then I show them things about the orchestra that are really interesting, things that they've never, they've never seen before. They've never, the way I present the music, they can grasp what I'm showing them very clearly. And that, that's very satisfying. Just feel like, I understand, I got that. And gradually, what happens is the, the, the way I ask the orchestra to behave resembles more and more behavior that goes on at work. Tell us more about that. Well, well, let's say, for example, they're in an organization where, um, as is true of many organizations, where there are issues with silos. I mean, silos uh, just simply represent that an organization is divided into various specialties, and each one is kind of independent unit. And that, that is wonderful for assembling all these expertise. But what happens is there tends to be not enough communication across the silos, and therefore mistakes are made, delays happen, opportunities are lost because of lack of awareness across silos. And this is just such a common problem. It happens everywhere. And leaders are always trying to break that down. And the way you do it is by making people aware that's a hard thing to experience. It's so abstract. But what I do in the orchestra, for example, is I'll take the, the wind section and ask them to tune their instruments to a different standard than the strings. Generally, it's a quarter of a tone lower. It's very close. 
And then I have the wind section play alone. And after half a minute or so, they, play, they sound very good. But then when I have the wind section playing together with the string section, it sounds terrible. It sounds like, it sounds like they're students, you know, uh, rather than the professionals. And, and actually what's happening is there's really high-level professional behavior happening. But because the organization hasn't reconciled the, the standards between silos, what, hap- what, what they hear is a dysfunction. So that's a very graphic way of showing how uh, failure to communicate across the silos can lead to dysfunctions, even when all the individual behavior is exemplary. That's really interesting. And as an organization would come to you, I'm thinking this through in my mind, do they bring to you a list of concerns at the onset before you actually start playing the music or do these issues manifest for the organization as they're going through the experience? Uh, That's a very astute question. Yeah, uh, that's an important part of it. I customize the session uh, around an interview that I have in which I say, "What's what's the goal of this meeting? What are you trying to accomplish? Why are you bringing all of your people here? Why are you taking willing to take them off their jobs and do this? What's the big win that you're trying to bring about? And then uh, I ask, well, what's the impediment? Why, why do you have to go to this extreme in order to communicate this to people? You know, what's holding you back? And I listened very carefully to the answers and I probed the, the answers because I want to understand them more deeply. Then I digest them, and then I, I try to find ways to cause those kinds of behaviors, both positive and negative, to grow spontaneously in the orchestra. Because what's unique about this is that the orchestra that's sitting there, first of all, it's generally not a, a standing orchestra. Generally, it's a collection of, of freelance musicians. Sometimes they've played together, but sometimes they haven't played at all. So. That's new. And the other thing is I don't tell them what the role play exercises are going to be. So they're happening in real time and spontaneously. And then this this set of behaviors brings about results much more convincingly and more quickly than in real life. Because in music, behavior leads to results almost instantaneously. And so it's very it becomes this ideal laboratory for looking at behaviors and seeing what the effect of those behaviors is. So interesting. Give us an example of one of these role-play exercises you take an organization through with the orchestra. Yeah, well, here's a good one. There was a, a very big, very famous organization that was undergoing a big, important transformation. They gave themselves about seven years in advance of their deadline for making this big change. and. It was such a fundamental change that they decided the only way it was going to take hold was if the leaders really embraced it. And so the 5,500 leaders of this organization went, all went through a kind of leadership training. And in that training, Music Paradigm was part of it. And um, what they wanted was they wanted a kind of leadership which was proactive and engaging. It wasn't just one that was corrective and reactive. They wanted something that really could engage their people and lead them into 
a new reality. So I understanding that that was important. I, I designed the following role play. I said to the orchestra, we're now going to play this passage. And each team in our orchestra has a principal player, a leading player. And in this run through, all the leaders, which is about one quarter of the orchestra, are going to be totally committed to the performance and going to really make it great. But the rank and file are going to do as little as possible without getting caught. And, of course, no musician has ever been asked to do that before. Uh, so it's, everybody laughs, and then we do it, and the musicians are doing exactly what I asked of them. And to the astonishment of uh, the audience, <laughs> the orchestra sounds very good, and they don't find any dysfunction at all in it. And when I stop, I point that out all these surprised expressions that I see on their faces. Uh, and, but then I say, really, you know, it shouldn't surprise you at all because we all know that that's the way many organizations work. And the people who take accountability are so good that they carry it for everyone else who are doing much less than they could do. But it's not causing any big dysfunction. And you wouldn't think that this was a dysfunction until you heard the following. I say, what would it be like if every musician in the orchestra used everything you know, took whatever risk you need to do in order to make this orchestra sound in a way that these people never imagined an orchestra could sound? Well, that's very motivating for a musician. And so then we play the same passage again. And everybody in the audience hears, I mean, the, it's the same notes but it doesn't feel like the same music at all. It is so much more thrilling and, uh, and moving and impressive. So the, the audience uh, applauds spontaneously. They're, they're kind of shocked. But what an impression that made. And then I say that this is a really very challenging demonstration for anybody who's a leader. Because if you're the type of leader who just thinks that I'll just solve problems as they come up, you will never draw that kind of energy. It's only the leader who, who sees what a possibility could be and leads the, the organization into a place that they wouldn't necessarily, necessarily discover themselves and unlocks that potential who will ever evoke that kind of energy. That's an example of a role play. That's a beautiful example. That's so well stated. I, I'm curious, Roger, what is the in this size range in terms of people who are sitting in your audience and, and what is like the, what is the smallest number of people who you've done this with and what's the largest? I think smallest would be an audience of a, about 20. Okay. That's very much on the small size. The largest that I've ever done is about 4,000. And uh, that's very large, but um, it's everything in between. And I want to put you on the spot here a little bit. So for those listening who are either entrepreneurs or have entities that are smaller than the size that you're talking about on, on the small end, so less than 20, how can they use music in their own lives and organizations to improve their functioning and relationships? An excellent question. Well, I've, I've devised something for smaller groups as well. And this I don't use an orchestra, I use a string quartet. And the lessons are different because it's not about a, a conductor and an orchestra. It's about, it's about teams that are kind of self-governed. 
They may have an appointed leader, but everybody is supposed to participate in a kind of equal way. And that's what that's about. And I call that tuning in. And that's uh, it deals with uh, holding people accountable, negotiating, creating a climate of trust, encouraging participation from everyone, those kinds of issues, which are different from what I do with the orchestra, which is more uh, more standard leader and workforce dynamic. Are there specific takeaways? I know you said that there's certainly a difference between the work that you do with these smaller entities, with the, the four-string quartet versus the orchestra. But in terms of just general lessons or experiences, what do you find the biggest differences that in working with these smaller groups? And what are the lessons that most people take away from that? I think the lessons are kind of the same. The fundamental lessons are the same in both, that my goal is for people to come out feeling, number, number one, inspired about the possibilities of what they could accomplish, more conscious about their own power to affect results, feeling that they have more tools for getting things done and for working with other people and bringing out the best in people so that people feel energized. They feel inspired. They have a clearer picture of what their success is going to look like because it's a little, it's like what the orchestra did or it's like what the string quartet did. They want to be able to be as effective and as, as aligned as those ensembles are. Very good. Roger, you do something that's so unique and interesting. I've never quite talk to anyone who does exactly what you do. Uh, as you know, I, I wrap up every episode by asking my guest a single question, and that is, what is your biggest helping? The one most important piece of information you'd like the audience to walk away with after hearing our discussion today? That's a, uh, an interesting question. I think that within what lies in front of us, on our desk, in the people that we're surrounded with in our lives, there lies a potential which we cannot see. It's right in front of us, and yet we can't see it because of the way we think about things. So one of the greatest things that could happen is if you discover that you actually have the capability of making things better in many ways, making better relationships, bringing about better results, realizing what it is that you're trying to do more effectively than you currently do. And the thing to do is to unlock that possibility in yourself. And so what you need to do is to, to find a different lens to see it differently. And the lens that I I'm always bringing to people is the lens of music, which kind of it it's kind of like like an X-ray of your behavior and the behavior of other people, and it's like an X-ray because you can see through it more clearly because music is is transparent, and so you can hear what everybody's doing all together and the way they affect each other. So the relationships they kind of snap into focus 
much more clearly than they do in real life. And once having seen that in a musical context, it's easy to make the conversion to how would I bring that particular dynamic into my own life. So I would say that if you start off with a mindset which is frustrated or discouraged, or you've tried you know, this before and it's never going to lead to anything else, First of all, that's a, a depressing way to live, even if, even if you're used to it and you don't know you're feeling it. And second of all, it's such a waste of the, the talent and imagination and, and the energy that people have. So what I would say is admit of the possibility that there's a way that through what you do, you could bring about better results better relationships, more fulfillment, more joy in work, and more accomplishments. And then try to find it. Don't give up just because it doesn't come to you. You have to change yourself and especially try on different lenses in order that you'll see things differently. Perfect. I love that, Roger. Where can people find you? Uh, The website is musicparadigm.com. And on it, there are are videos and blogs and, and all kinds of interesting things, and also a way to make contact. And many people do contact me through the website. Very good. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes at thedailyhelping.com, as well as in the Daily Helping app, available on iTunes and Google Play Store. Roger, thank you so much for going on the show. This was a fascinating discussion. Well, Dr. Schuster, I really enjoyed talking with you. Appreciated. And I also want to thank each and every one of you who chose to listen to this episode today. If you like what you heard, go subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a five-star review because this is what helps other people find the podcast. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for someone else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping, because the happiest people are those that help others.